All right, so we are in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 6, and we're going to, uh, I think we might finish it. I think we might finish it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, You'll remember last week um, we focused on this concept of bearing each other's burdens, and this was one of the ways that Paul has started to shift in this letter from the very um, theologically toned and and, um, argumentatively toned um, first chapters to more uh, practical pastoral teaching uh, in this last chapter. And I think you'll you'll see that continue some today, although you'll also see that uh, he still has a bone to pick with these folks, and he still wants to get in a few shots at the end to make sure that he makes his point. And uh, he has not lost sight of his main idea, and he does revisit that uh, later in the, in, the, in the chapter. So we talked about uh, last week again uh, this concept of bearing each other's burdens. We talked about uh, the burden of helping a brother who is uh, kind of caught up with sin and how do we, how do we um, uh, inject ourselves uh, when the time is right to, uh, to help those uh, of our brothers and sisters who uh, are overtaken by, by sin. And you know, if the shoe's on their other foot, if it's us, how do we receive that in a good way? Uh, we also talked about the fact that, in general, we are to bear each other's burdens, that there are burdens that are too heavy for any individual, and we're supposed to uh, come alongside and to support and to help in those ways. And then in the latter part of um, the uh, verses, uh, in verse 5, we talked about that there are some burdens that are our own to bear, uh, that we, uh, we each have our own responsibilities. And so today we'll look at uh, some additional things that may not necessarily be a burden, but, um, but certainly are some responsibilities. And um, we'll start in, uh, in verse uh, 6. And uh, this passage you might think of uh, as spiritual economics. Spiritual economics. So we're going to talk about that in verses 6 through 10. And then in verses 11 and following, uh, we're back uh, to the main controversy as as Paul summarizes things. So uh, let's go through uh, these first verses. Galatians 6, 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows, sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, um, as, uh, as we often do... Um, uh, sometimes uh, speaking, it's good to to get a, a good definition. So I looked up the, just a simple definition of economics. It says, the branch of knowledge concerned with the production, consumption, and transfer of wealth. The production, consumption, and transfer of wealth. So if this is spiritual economics, we're not so much concerned about the consumption, production, and transfer of wealth, but we're talking about spiritual matters here, and I think you'll see some things. There's some very familiar verses here, so we'll just kind of walk through this. And some of this is kind of self-explanatory. In verse 6, 
One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So pretty much I take this to be that, that because I'm teaching, you should share stuff with me. Is that not what that says? No. Um, that's what it says, but I think we could expound on that. I think Paul is, is, is really in, uh, ushering in a new economy for the church. Now, this concept of the church was still young, right? Um, this, all they knew, for the most part, was the temple and the organization of the temple. It was very structured. It had centuries and centuries of structure so that people knew how that economy worked. And Paul here is ushering in a different type of economy. Uh, obviously, it's very much decentralized. It's you know groups of believers gathering together. And um, he's saying, you know, um, I think we could elaborate on this and say, you know, if there's someone in your group, in your church, that is devoting themselves to, to maybe do the main teaching and maybe taking time away from from um, their normal occupation, it's okay to and support them. It's it's proper uh, to do that. And uh, of course, um, as was quoted this morning in, in Acts, in the early days, uh, this type of, of supporting each other and, and sharing with each other uh, was the norm, and it was um, it was uh, a blessed way of uh, the church organizing. Uh, this was really a different way of organizing the church. Um, we find in 1 Timothy it says uh, elders should be able to teach. Uh, much of the teaching, you would assume, was done by elders. So when it's talking about people that are teaching, I, I look at that as kind of a stand-in for uh, the local shepherd, the local, uh, your lead elder in your home church, perhaps. Uh, I think that's what that's talking about, that, you know, it's okay to support that person. That would be the right thing to do. And um, the bookend of this passage in verse 10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, we need to look out after each other uh, as we share our needs, um, spiritual needs, financial needs, whatever those needs are. We need to be aware of that and uh, to, um, uh, to, to be generous. We know that uh, in the old economy, it was tithe upon tithe upon tithe upon tithe. And we know that it was very structured. The Levites were going to be taken care of. They had their share. They had their cities, you'll remember from our study of Joshua. Um, God provided for them. They could take some of the sacrificial uh, meat and so forth. So God had made provision. But this was a different way of doing things. And Paul is saying, you know, you need, to, you need to look out after each other. Um, I think that um, this responsibility, uh, which says to those of you who are the household of faith, um, we, need to, we need to look out after our own. And I've, I've kind of shared this principle um, that uh, I think we, we have greatest responsibility to those we're closest to. Um, we need to give to our church. We should not expect other people to give to our church, should we? We need to give to our church. Um, we need to be generous with our own families. I should not expect someone else to send me a check in the mail. Hey, I'd like to just help you take care of your family. Um, 
be great, right? But, um, but that's not the norm. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that's not the norm. Um, we would rightly be impressed to give to those people that, and those ministries that we are aware of, that we are closely connected to. Um, there are probably people who are doing tons of great work all across the world. I don't need to go look all of them up because I've got people I can support in my own backyard. You know, so I think that's kind of the way that works. You know, this was um, a community, and a community should take care of their own. And and I know many of you are very good at that. Uh, this is pretty self-explanatory spiritual economics, but let's focus on these middle verses. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, here we have some echoes of our original argument, right? There's, there's grace under Jesus. There was tradition circumcision, Mosaic law, in the, the Old Testament, so to speak. Um, here Paul is making a distinction. This is where it says, sows to his own flesh. We know that in the New Testament the flesh can have a lot of meanings. It's sometimes used as a stand-in for worldly things. But I think here Paul is having a little play on words because it's all been about circumcision in this chapter, right? So I think he's put a little dig in. You know, if you're going to be all about this thing you want to do with the flesh, um, what you're going to be left with after that. You're not going to have much to show for that because that's not, that's not the way God and his economy works. Um, you th so to the spirit, you're going to reap spiritual things. That's where you get eternal life, through the spirit, not from these things that you're doing on your own. And then another pastoral word in verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Um, you got to get your head around this concept that we are not saved by the things that we do. We know this. I know I'm telling you stuff you don't know. We are not saved by the things that we do. There aren't enough things for us to do that would make us impress God at all for him to give us eternal life. That would, there's nothing we could ever do to, to attain to that point. We're saved by grace, but yet we do have responsibility for doing good. And sometimes we might get tired of doing that. So here's Paul's just pastoral word saying, look, you know, persecution was coming. These were not going to be, you know, the glory days. Okay, this wasn't like, um, you know, I wasn't around for the 1950s, but if you, you know, watch TV, it just seemed like everything was perfect then. You know, the people back from the war, the economy was booming, everything was great. Right, you know, the golden days or whatever. Uh, this is not then. Persecution was coming. They were meeting in people's homes. Their old way of life had gone away. They were, you know, under Roman influence. Uh, but yet, he says, don't go weary. Keep working. Keep investing and so forth. And I think that's the way we should look at this, that we, Chaplain Hall is going to talk about being... Um, that we're ambassadors, we're spiritual ambassadors, but I would say we're also spiritual investors. That in our time, on this earth, we're investing in God's work. We're putting ourselves in, we're showing up, we're just doing the work. 
I was teaching a, a PA student uh, or nurse practitioner student uh, this week and trying to make the, com the, the comment to him that there are going to be some encounters that you have where you're not going to be the one to figure out the big diagnosis. You're not going to be the one to come in and just cure something. Your job might be someone who's got a chronic disease of some sort and just kind of want to get them better a little, move the ball. You know, it's like, it's like the fullback, right? You're looking for two or three good yards. Let's go in the right direction. Don't fumble, right? And I think for a lot of us, that's what we should be doing. You know, let's get the handoff. Let's go a few yards. Because at some point, our work's going to be over. We've heard of a couple folks today. Their, their work's over. It was interesting to me, and I, I've always thought it was a little weird because of many churches who have uh, cemeteries around them, right? And um, we were at a church down in uh, Columbia yesterday, and there were graves in between every building on the campus, alongside every building of the campus. Um, the painters who were repainting had to navigate their scaffolding around the graves because you couldn't get to the building for the graves. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd, you know, and you could talk about dead churches and all this sort of thing. But I thought to myself, you know, this is actually not a bad thing. Everybody who comes to church here knows um, it's, really, it's really about what happens between now and when you're in the grave. And that's, that's, that's your duty. You know, none of us is going to win unless we're so lucky to be here when Jesus comes. But all of us are called to just carry the ball a little further down the road because we're going to have to hand off to somebody else. Somebody's going to need to take our place. And that's the spiritual economy. Let's, it, let's invest. Let's invest. We may be around to reap those rewards. We may not. But we, it's making a spiritual investment. All right, verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. All right, so we need to take this little verse by itself. There's been a lot of speculation about this verse. It's kind of an interesting verse. Um, so a lot of, lot of theories. Uh, one is um, they say, well, you know, Paul had bad eyes is what they're, they're saying. Uh, in Galatians 4, there was a, a comment that, you know, about some some uh, physical illness he was having, and, and he says, you know, I know some of you would gouge out your eyes for me if you could. And some people would put two and two together and say, well, you know, maybe that means he had bad eyes, and, and he's really wanting to make a point. So he actually takes the pen from his scribe's hand, and now he starts to write these last part uh, of the letter. And he says, I'm writing with these large letters. And some people say, well, maybe he couldn't see very good. That's one theory. Um, some people have have said, this, this sounds kind of silly to me, but they say, well, well, uh, you know, maybe he just didn't have very good penmanship and uh, he wasn't very, you know, he just never learned to write very well and, and so forth. And I think that's silly. We know that Paul was uh, a very good student and uh, I, I'm sure that um, someone worked on his penmanship. Not that being a good student and penmanship always go together, uh, but I'm sure they did for Paul. Um, the best... Um, the best uh, thing that I've heard is, is kind of two parts to it. One is Paul wanted to apply his own hand to this to uh, serve as a way of authenticating the letter. He knows he's sending a controversial letter. Controversial letter. We know that he's um, uh, going to be calling some people to account. 
and he didn't want any objections to somebody say, well, you know, well, how do we know this is from Paul? You know, it says from Paul. You know, how do we know it's from Paul? Maybe it's maybe this isn't <coughs> legit uh, because there probably were spurious things going around. So he's writing to say, um, yeah, this this is really me. But the other thing is uh, apparently more recent work has shown that sometimes they would actually write in big letters um, the way that we would use on our computers where we would use like make something bold or make something italics that uh, this was kind of um, Paul's way of saying look don't miss this uh, I'm really highlighting this uh, so they didn't have highlighters they didn't have you know bold and italic uh, this in a, in a sense these big Maybe it was all caps. We do use that. Some people have said this was all caps writing when he says uh, large letters. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, in other words, pay attention. Is, is, I don't want you to miss this. That's the big idea. Or verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. This is kind of interesting. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So in other words, these people who are wanting to force this idea of circumcision are doing it so that somehow they can boast about that. Now obviously this is really weird, right? I want you to do something, I guess, so that I can claim you on my team and somehow that makes me look better. It's really weird. And then, you know, Paul being a guy, I think, mainly writing to guys perhaps, you know, I, I think there's probably some wordplay here where it says, those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. So what were they showing? Don't answer. <laughs> I think there's some wordplay there. I, I don't know. I didn't read that in a commentary, so I'll take the blame for that one. Verse 13 continues the thought, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. It gets weirder, right? Now I'm bragging about what you did. Anyway, you get the idea. Um, these people are really... He, this is just like he's just showing how stupid and unfounded and unscriptural their argument is. And it's easy for us to kind of chuckle at them, and of course it's worth chuckling over, but you know, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we guilty about this? You know, Are there things that we would insist on? Now, I don't think we'd be quite this much, but we're in a Baptist church, right? One of the distinctives about being a Baptist church is we believe that you should be baptized and go under the water. How much pressure, let's say I'm the pastor, how much pressure should I put on one of my congregation who is a wonderful Christian but wasn't baptized by immersion? How much, how much pressure should I put on them? Should I make it a requirement for being a member? Would I make it a requirement to be a teacher? To be fully baptized? 
to be immersed. Would I make it a requirement to be on the steering committee? What if I had a pastoral candidate who had never been immersed? It gets tricky, don't it? I'm not answering any of those. Those are what they call rhetorical questions. But it gets picky, right? So when you think about it like that, it kind of makes us a little less smug about those Galatians, right? Because we've got our own issues, right, that we think are important. I'm not saying circumcision and baptism are the same, although you'll often see them mentioned together, and many people who believe in one believe in the other for various reasons. But you see, it, it, it just makes, you know, so need to dial our smugness down a little and raise our humility a little and let's all be thankful that we're not pastors who have to make those calls. Um, so think about those tough decisions when you write your checks. Um, another point here is that, and I, and I didn't think about this until just today, but you know how I said that in the old economy, you really had to be strict with your tithing, right? And even today, uh, does anybody know any, any Jews that go to synagogue? How do they handle their finances? Do you know? Once a year, you write a check to be a member of the synagogue. It's like paying your country club dues. That's the way, that's the way it's handled. Right? You just, let's get her done. Here you go. I'm in. That's the way it worked. So I think it's kind of funny. If they were all about the law, why weren't they just brimming in cash? Because he says, they're circumcised. They don't keep the law. Right? So they were all about, we want you to get cut on, but we're not going to keep doing our tithe thing because that tithe thing, that was done away with. Right, that's like the old stuff. We're not doing that anymore. Right? See how hypocritical that was? Anyway. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Circumcision counts for nothing, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. If he hasn't made the point already through the book, there it is. You're saved or you're not. Doesn't matter what your anatomy is, you're either saved or you're not. All right? Uh, circumcision doesn't save you, baptism doesn't save you. You're either a new creation or you're not. And he goes on to say in verse 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And you see this concept here where you see Paul's theology almost really you know, maturing in that this concept of who is really Israel, who is really God's family. Well, this Israel of God who is it? It's all those that are new creations. It's those that are saved. And again, it doesn't matter who your ancestors are. We saw that earlier in the book. 
doesn't matter, you know, how well you went to temple. It doesn't matter any of those things. It's are you a new creation or not? And then I'll paraphrase verse 17. It says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So my, my paraphrase to that is, don't give me any grief. You want to see so much damage to the flesh? Do like me. Do like Jesus. Get some real marks on your body and then pop off. Right? That's, you know, he, he said, look, I'll show you, you know, and we know from 2 Corinthians all that he went through. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was left for dead. You know, he's got a few marks on himself as well. And apparently the, also um, that word can be used almost like a brand. Like, like I'll show you my back where I was beaten. You know, if, you wanna, if, you're, if you're all about the flesh, let me show you the flesh. And then he closes with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit. Um, probably the... Um, the, the verse I'd like to close with, though, is to go back to verse 14. But far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. All the things that we might get tangled up in don't make any difference at the cross, right? Um going to be some funeral services now and in the next few days for people that we know. Not going to be a whole lot of fluff there. It's going to be basics, right? You're going to hear about the gospel. Sure, you'll hear about some things that they did, and, and rightly so. But ultimately, the only things that will last are things that are in the context of the cross. And for, and for Paul, he said, everything else has been crucified to me. All right, to the world. Um, this, uh, this verse, of course, is uh, the core uh, verse for uh, uh, the second verse of a, of a great hymn. And um, so uh, I think we're just going to close uh, with that. I've got a video, and a, of course the Gaithers, they always do a big production. Um, but uh, I think you'll... Uh, you'll recognize uh, the verse. So, uh, Eddie, if you could uh, get the lights, and I'll see if I can.